Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode, a brand new, a fresh and ready to rock and roll episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and we got a plethora of topics to talk about. We really do. A lot of good, a lot of hope, not a lot of bad, I don't think, and just some exciting stuff. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk Bruins and some hockey. Duh. We're going to talk about the Celtics. And some basketball. Duh. And of course, we're going to talk about the Patriots and some football. Duh. And yes, we will talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. I'm not going to reflect on the World Series. I'm not going to give my opinion. I'm just very happy and glad that the Astros lost. I think 99.8% of America wanted the Astros to lose. And the only 0.02% or no, the 0.2% that wanted the Astros to win were probably Houston natives and Astros fans. Literally, the entirety of America wanted the Braves to win, and the Braves were able to do so. So, first off, congratulations to the Atlanta Braves, their first World Series title in 26 years. Well, well deserving. I saw a stat where it was like the last two 162-game season World Series winners, the Nationals in 2019 and the Braves in 2021, Both had similar records at the midway point, at the 81-game mark. The Nationals were 41-40, and 41 wins, 40 loss, and the Braves were 40 wins and 41 losses. And the only thing I got to say about that is don't give up. Now, obviously, they both came from the same division, and the NL East has been a little... It has its good players. It has its great players, actually, but... Overall, competitively, it's it's not overwhelming. It's not like a, a National League West where you got two hundred win clubs. It's it's not like that. It's not like the American League East where you know three four teams can win ninety games. It's it's its own little breed. But nonetheless, the point is, never give up on your season. The Braves lost Ronald Acuna Jr. Was it right after the All Star game or right before the All Star game? And they didn't they didn't fold. They made moves and acquisitions at the deadline. Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler. And all three of them played major factors in winning the World Series. All three of them. It was absolutely bizarre. So I just want to take a couple minutes here at the start to just say congratulations to the Atlanta Braves for doing exactly what America wanted them to do. And that was beat the Houston Astros in the World Series. So congratulations to the 
Boston Braves, the Milwaukee Braves, the Atlanta Braves, that whole Braves organization, well-deserving because you weren't a super team. You didn't have the best pitching. You didn't have the best of, you know, flashiest players. You did it. You grinded. You went on the road. You won. You took care of home field advantage. You won. Couldn't be any more happy. So let's transition. We're not going to stick with baseball right now. We're going to talk about baseball later towards the back end of the episode because I want to talk about some Bruins hockey. And something special happened last night at the TD Garden. Patrice Bergeron, your Boston Bruins captain, netted, tallied, scored four goals last night. The second four-goal game of his career. I tried looking up the first one. I couldn't find it since this just happened last night, his second career four-goal game. All it is talking about is Bergeron's four goals against the Red Wings. So I can't really find the uh, the first one. If anyone knows where it is, reach out to me on social media. Comment down below if you're listening on YouTube. Because I'd like to know when it was. I bet they said it on the radio. I probably just missed it when I was driving home. I heard his fourth goal. I heard them say that... It was the second. They didn't mention when. I'm sure they did at some point in time. But yes, Patrice Bergeron, your Boston Bruins captain, scored four goals. He had four points, obviously, on five shots. The Bruins defeated the Detroit Red Wings 5-1 to one at the Garden yesterday. Absolute big win for them because, like I mentioned on Monday's episode, the Red Wings have been playing surprisingly fairly well this year to start the season off. I mean, it's still early, obviously. But you look at the Panthers, you look at the you know the Sabres, the Red Wings, they're all playing fairly well. And people expected the Panthers to be really good this year. But no one really expected the Red Wings and the Sabres to start out as hot as they did. They have now fallen back a little bit since Monday's episode where the Maple Leafs and the Lightning have kind of really stepped up and take form or take better form to what we expect them to be, at least the Lightning. Bruins are doing the same thing. They still only have eight games played. Everyone else has double digits games played. Because they started the season like four days after everyone else and they just had four days off. It is, I don't know, it's weird. It is purely, purely weird. But you know what? Taking off the Red Wings like that, a good win because if they won, they would have been second and third in the Atlantic Division. Obviously, again, a nice little win there helps. Gives you a two-game winning streak. And honestly, at this point in the season, like I've mentioned, you just got to collect as many points as you can because at the end of the season, that's what matters. It doesn't matter if you have 50 wins. It matters that you have 100 and whatever points or however you know, many points you can accumulate, right? So absolute good win there. I'm really glad that they won that game. I did mention that you know, beating the Panthers, beating the Red Wings, the Maple Leafs, the Senators, I'm not going to worry about the Oilers you know, next Thursday. But win some games that you should be able to win. Like, the you know, the Panthers game, I don't want to say you should win, but you just played them a few days prior, so at least split that. Red Wings, you should be able to beat. Maple Leafs, they're looking good this year. Still early, but it's going to be a tough game up in Toronto. That's your first one since two years ago. So it's going to be a little bit of a different atmosphere having to go back up there and play one of your old rivals. Then you play the Senators. Should be a win. They have been playing decent, but they've kind of fallen off just a little bit. Obviously, right? Wait, what was um? No, they weren't playing decent. I'm sorry. I'm thinking. I was thinking of the Red Wings there. I apologize. The Senators, you know, both red teams. Give me a break, guys. So the Senators should be a dub. That's in Boston, and then I'm not like I said, I'm not going to worry about the Oilers. 
Let's worry about the next couple of games here. Grab as many points as we can get and keep moving forward. One thing I do want to note that was absolutely bizarre is that the Bruins had 37 shots on net. The Red Wings only had 15. You are you shot more than double the Red Wings did. That is the precise formula you need in order to win games. Is shoot the puck. I said this during the playoffs last year, and I'll say it again. The more pucks that you can put on net, the better your chances are at winning. Why? Because without shooting the puck, there's no chance for the puck to go in the net. Right? Now, obviously, you know, teams can score one goal with, you know, a few shots. But over the course of the game, the more pucks you get on net, the more tired, the more fatigued, the goal he gets. And, it, you know, Swayman was able to just be comfortable last night, only facing 15 shots and saving 14 of them. And then that first goal came in the third quarter. But the Bruins, just their barrage was all night. First period got in a goal. Second period, two goals. Third period, two more goals. It's just that barrage. Like, Bergeron had five. Marchand had two. These are shots on goals. McAvoy had four. Mike Riley had five, scoring a goal. Was that is that his first career goal? Cause I think I remember last year saying that he didn't have any goals. Or very few. Where's his career? Okay, no, he has nine nine career goals. That was his ninth. Okay, but very low uh, goal total for Mike Riley there. Who was I thinking that didn't have any goals? I thought I talked about someone last year that didn't have any goals. I want to say it was Mike Riley saying how oh, we didn't bring him in here to be a goal scorer. I want to say that's what it was. But Mike Riley had five shots. Curtis Lazar had two shots. Clifton, one. Coyle, two. A bunch of other players with one. Hala had two. Kuhlman had two. Pasternak had two. So just put the puck on the net. Obviously, you want to take good shots. You don't want to just take a shot just to take a shot, right? I mean, unless it's like tequila, right? Right? Just kidding, guys. But seriously, putting shots on net is going to keep the goalie moving side to side, up and down, the puck slamming against his you know, chest protector or his pads or whatever it may be. It's going to be draining. And over the course of a seven-game series in the playoffs, having those shots on net actually matter. It takes a toll on the goalies. It does. I mean, whether it was the, the Capitals' first uh, series last year or even the Islanders' second series that they lost, putting shots on net, putting 35, 40, 45 shots on net wears the goalie down over the course of a seven-game series. And obviously, you're just playing one game. You might play a home-and-home with the team. It just, it helps. The Red Wings, decent team so far we've seen early in the season. I don't expect all too much from them. Uh, obviously, you know, they've only played 11 games so far, so it's still tough to tell. But them only shooting 15 pucks on the net and scoring once is a detriment to my philosophy where the Bruins were able to put 37 shots on net and able to score five times. It's just the formula works out. It does. It does because you get more scoring chances, scoring opportunities when the puck is shot on the net. You get the puck to just simply go in the net. You can get ricochets, rebounds, deflections, you know, misplays, whatever it may be. But when you're not putting the puck on the net, you don't get any of those chances. Obviously, like I said, I have to reiterate, I want good shots. I don't want just to shoot it from, you know, center ice. 
just slap it on the goalie. Obviously not, guys. Be smart about it. You, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. But Bruins looked really good last night, specifically Bergeron, and I really can't wait to see you know the season take form and matriculate. I know the Bruins are what fifth right now, so they're on the outside looking in. It's still early. I'm not worried. I feel way more confident in the Bruins than I do about the Celtics. Although the Celtics got the win last night, and I will jump to the Celtics right now. In the past two games, they've held the Magic and the Heat to under 80 points. Nuts. I mean, I mean the Magic, I'm, they're the Magic, but the Heat holding them under 80 points? I think that's fantastic. I really do. Celtics beat the Magic 92-79 to on Wednesday, and they just beat the Heat last night, both on the road, by the way. They just beat the Heat 95-78 last night. Offense is slowly getting there, I guess. Defense looks decent. I know they've had some bad games, you know, giving up 128 to the Bulls and blowing their 14-point lead. The Wizards, 115, that was in overtime, 116 to the Wizards last Wednesday. So the defense is slowly maybe getting better. I don't know. I don't take much stock into that Magic game, but I definitely take a lot of stock into that Heat game. I really do. Now, tomorrow they play against the Mavericks in Dallas. Then they come back home to host the Raptors, the Bucks. The season is long, just like hockey. It's, you know, good teams starting out hot, bad teams starting out cold. I mean, the Hornets, they were, what, 3-0 and at one point, the second seed, and now they're 5-4, and and they're the ninth seed. The East looks fairly good this year. I, I mean, it's early, guys. I'm going to be saying this for probably another month until 2025 games in. But the Bucks are the 10th seed right now. The Hawks are the 4th seed. Like the Wizards are the five, uh, the 7th seed. The Cavs are the 8th seed. So let's just pump the brakes. It was good to get a nice win against the Heat because they were 6-1 and one going into that matchup. Obviously, that's a tough loss for them. But at the end of the day, you're just right in the thick of things. You know, you win a couple games. You know, team or two ahead of you loses a couple games. And now you're in the middle like the 5-6 seed. That's just how the NBA works. You know, there's no points like there is in hockey. It's just get wins, get dubs, and that's it. I mean, the Magic are 2-7 and seven right now. That's why I don't put all too much stock into the game that the Celtics beat them in on Wednesday. But, hey, at this point, when you're 4-5, and five, you'll take any dub you can get. You'll take any single dub you can get. Um, I know Brown played very well. Schroeder played very well. Let's go over quickly. Horford. 10.7 rebounds, Tatum 10.8 rebounds, Brown 17 points, Schroeder 14 points, 5 boards, 6 assists, Langford 12 points, 2 rebounds, Neesmith 13 points, 3 rebounds. So, hey, the team, there was no surefire score in this game. Obviously, you want that to be Tatum or Brown every single night. But when your highest scorer is Brown at 17 points, and you get 14 from Schroeder, you get 12 from Langford, 13 from Neesmith, 10 from Horford and Tatum, and then you sprinkle in everything else from everybody else, I'll take it. I'll absolutely take that. I'd rather win games like that where you're getting one, two, three, four, five, six players scoring double digits, and Marcus Smart had nine, so almost seven players scoring double digits, than just Tatum dropping 40 and everyone else dropping like, you know, eight to 15 points. I want this team to 
meld. Meld? Melt? Mold? I don't know, just become a cohesive unit. I know they've had some troubles early on where Marcus Smart's saying that Tatum and Brown aren't passing the ball. They're just keeping it between themselves and trying to play hero ball. And we know that doesn't work in the NBA. It can get you to... Hero ball can get you into the playoffs. Could probably win you a couple games, maybe a series early on in the playoffs. But ultimately, that's not how you do it. Not when you have a team that has underperformed to start the season. They underperformed last season. A lot of high expectations entering the season, as there are every season. And also, it's just, yeah, they're young. They have some veteran leaders like Horford, Smart, Schroeder. It's nice to have those guys. But overall, this team is still fairly young. But, I mean, we can't keep using that young excuse. I mean, what, is Tatum 24 and Brown's 25 now? Like, these these kids are in the prime of their career now. I mean, they're no longer young bloods. I mean, they're still young, but don't get, don't get me wrong. They're still young. But you can't be using the excuse like, oh, they're rookies. Oh, they're on their rookie contracts. They're only a couple years in. Like, no, these guys have been in the league for five, four years now. You know, we got to make some moves. And I, there's been some conversation. There's some rumors, some spitting headlines that have said, is Tatum and Brown a good fit together? Now, everyone here in Boston wants to think so, right? Or at least the majority of people. There's some people that wants to ship Brown out. There's some people that wants to ship Tatum out. But ultimately, collectively, can Tatum and Brown win together? I would like to think yes. I just think they need the right pieces around them. I think they need a true point guard, a true facilitator. Someone like Rajon Rondo, who is a passer. I'm not saying Rondo. I'm not saying Rondo. Would I like Rondo? Absolutely. But I'm not saying Rondo for all those Rondo haters out there. A pass-first point guard. Marcus Smart is not a pass-first point guard. Dennis Schroeder, not a pass-first point guard. Peyton Pritchard kind of is a pass-first point guard, but he's starting to really develop as a shooter as well. So you need a pass. Like, I've even heard rumors about John Wall that has come up. And I want to say it was like Horford. I don't even know. I don't even know what the deal was. Uh, Let's see if I can just quickly look it up. John Wall Celtics rumors. Can we find something real quick? Um, Let's see. It looks like Marcus Smart would be in that trade as well. Um, are they even talk? Oh, okay. Al Horford and Josh Richardson among Celtics floated in Wall proposal. Obviously, you'd have to give up Horford because of the contract, because Wall's contract's like over forty million. You'd have to give up Richardson, who has a uh, what is it like ten million dollars or whatever it may be. I wish I. Could, I know it's just a rumor. It's just something fun to report about. Uh, Oklahoma State probably taking a step back. Uh, this despite the fact that he's playing three games more with Smarts. With Delta Smarts fit as the team starting point guard surging, Quinn believes the Celtics would be wise to risk take a risk on all five-time all-star John Wall. I agree. I agree. So what I want to do... Oh, here we go. Per Quinn, that likely means a combination of four players, Al Horford, Richardson, Schroeder, and Honcho Herningones. Hernan Gomez. So basically, you bring in four new guys, and you're going to trade them all away for John Wall. 
where was it? NBA Trade Machine. I did a bunch of this over the off season. Let's see if I can find the one that I used. This is the NBA's. I don't really know if I'm gonna like the NBA's. What teams he on? I did. I did a few. I did a few with John Wall. So John Wall right now is making forty-four point three million dollars for this year and next year. Let's see if we were to bring him over to Boston. What would it take to be right now? Hold on. Let me take John Wall out. Right now the Celtics have negative thirty point four in cap room. They are six million over the tax line. Okay. Okay. That is. Uh, I just want to let me make sure that this is accurate. Refresh. Add a team. Boston. Okay, so that is true. Okay. Let's see. What is it going to take? Do we think draft picks? I know we're doing this like little experiment live here on the podcast. That's fun stuff. Oh, Daniel Tice is on the Rockets. Oh, TBT. If we wait to December 15th to make this trade, we could trade for Wall and Tice. I think that would be a pretty – that would be a good dub if you ask me. And obviously we have to wait until December 15th to trade Smart, Schroeder. Is that it? Just those two. Okay. So let's say we keep Schroeder and Smart. How can we get this deal done? Horford? Let me see if I just try. How, how smart are they going to be? This trade failed. Does it tell me why? Okay, cap reasons why. Okay. Because the other one didn't really care about logistics. If the money worked, Al Horford for John Wall would have gone through. So I just wanted to see if they were still smart about that. Let's see. Who else could we trade? Who else could we trade? We could trade, you know, Hernan Gomez. Could trade Josh Richardson. I think Josh Richardson would probably make the most sense there. They are acquiring $38 million. Try that. Okay. Successfully, financially, Al Horford and Josh Richardson is successful financially. That's all they really care about is that it works. Now, if, if it's just those trade, obviously a little bit more pieces are going to have to maneuver around. The Rockets would be gaining 10 more wins and the Celtics would be losing 10 wins. Projected wins. If we bring in John Wall and give up Horford and Richardson. Honestly, quite frankly, just that alone, I would be okay with that. I would be okay with that. Say the Celtics don't want to give up Al Horford. Well, where else are you going to get the money from? You'd have to give up Hernan Gomez. You would... See, no one really else is... You could try the Kemba Walker trade exception. Oh, I can't click on it. Well, that sucks. I can't use it. Uh, I mean, Al Horford's the big piece, you know, financially. I mean, you could try Grant Williams, but he's been playing pretty decent this year, surprisingly. Uh, Aaron Neesmith even. Let's see. Does this trade work? Financially, no. <laughs> Richardson and Hernan Gomez do, don't work financially. I wish I could still sh try Schroeder, even though we can't trade him till December. So, yeah. I mean, to make the financial aspect of it work, you're going to have to trade Horford because of his $27 million contract. And uh, John Wall making $44 million, So, <sighs> <laughs> Can I get draft picks up in here? Where, where are my draft picks? I can't even trade draft picks. See, ESPN, they just care about the uh, the financial piece of it. At least the other trade machine, you're able to kind of finagle with draft picks and try to be realistic, hence why I showed you or I presented to you all those trades over the offseason. But those rumors of John Wall to the Celtics, I would absolutely dance with. 
I've been wanting John Wall on the Celtics for a long time. And I know a lot of people out there, too. Now, is he a scorer? Yes. Is he who he once was? This flashes, but no. I mean, this is a man that's averaged, you know, who's led the league in assists. He averages 10 assists when he was with Washington a few years ago. I think he can give you that same assisting production at this point on the Celtics team. And then he can be your third scorer, like what you expected Kemba to be. But you don't have to rely on John Wall because you have Tatum and you have Brown. Yeah, you're going to be sucking up, you know, Horford and Richardson and probably Schroeder or whatever it may be. But this team is in win now mode. And you got to do what you can to win now. The Rockets, they're just trying to rebuild. I mean, let's see. Let's just check standings real quickly, shall we? Standings for the Rockets. They are one and seven. One and seven. They're only six games out of first place. They're only six games out of first place. But still. This is something the Celtics should strongly consider moving forward as we get closer and closer to when December 15th rolls around in the trade deadline. I don't think you should wait until the trade deadline because another team could see John Wall and then make the move to bring him in because of the same exact reasons. You know, he can he's a ball handler, he's a passer, he can be a team's third or even fourth scorer depending on who it is. Things you got to think about. Things you got to think about and I think with Brad Stevens now the president of basketball operations and the GM, same position, basically. I think he's ready to wheel and deal for this team. I mean, Danny Ainge, people call him Trader Danny. He didn't make the big moves when it mattered. Uh, okay, I'll, he brought in Isaiah Thomas. I'll give him that. But no one expected Isaiah Thomas to pop off and be a fan favorite the way he was. All due respect. No one expected that. He did trade uh, uh, trade back from number one to number three and got Tatum. Give him that. Other than that, I mean, I know the KG trade way back, but that's way back. I'm talking about the current Celtics, right? He made that, you know, Brooklyn Nets, KG, Paul Pierce trade that fleecing the Nets out of that. And you got Tatum and you got Brown out of it, out of this trade. But what else have you done? Because ultimately, right now, the Nets are better than you. Granted, they are spending more money. They did sign KD, Kyrie. They traded for James Harden. But that whole trade is now behind that organization. And you weren't able to capitalize on that. It sucks. It's true. That's why I think the Celtics should be a little risky. I don't want to say risk it for the biscuit. Risky. But at least risk it to make this team better for this year. Because I know it's early. But looking at the standings, I mean, the 76ers look good. But they still have some internal problems with Simmons. The Heat you just beat. But they're still really good. The Bulls, they're playing fantastic. But still early. And there's just a bunch of other teams muddled in the middle. I think if you want to try to win this fan base back, because right now it's super divided. But if you make a move like this and bring in John Wall, who's probably one of the most loved players across the league, I think you're going to be cooking with some fire. And I don't think it's going to, besides player salary, it's not going to be like you have to give up three first-round picks or anything like that because he is older. Does he have knee issues? Maybe. But I think lately, I don't think it's been that much of a problem for him. I mean, I'm not watching Rockets games every day. But, I mean, I haven't heard anything about Wall missing significant time because of an e-issue. Just some things to consider. Just some things to consider. So let's jump over 
to the New England Patriots versus the Carolina Panthers. And I was watching last night, uh, Thursday Night Football, Colts and Jets game. Why? I don't know, but I was. That this week represents five Super Bowl rematches. I don't know if it was the most ever. It might have been. Five previous Super Bowl matchups, rematches. Uh, Patriots, Panthers, uh, Colts, Jets, when the Colts were in the NFC. Uh, Packers, Colts, I'm not, Packers, Chiefs, excuse me. Um, Rams, Titans. I forget the fifth one. I forget the fifth one, but yeah, there's five of them out there. So that's pretty exciting. It's pretty cool. I mean, if you're able to kind of finagle that once a week every year, like, hey, let's just have four or five teams rematch each other or at least try to because, I don't know, there's 55. Come next year, there'll be 56 past Super Bowls to kind of finagle. And I understand the scheduling has to work a certain way and such like that. Oh, it'll be something to think of. Like next year, the Patriots, so they played the Cowboys for that 17th game this year. So next year, it'll be another NFC East team. Could be, could get the Eagles, the Giants, and then you throw that into one week's of Super Bowl rematches. I don't know. I think it'd be kind of cool. Something to consider if it works out. But anyways, anyways, little side topic there. Patriots, Panthers. Patriots are visiting the Panthers down in Carolina for a week. What are we, what are we on? Week nine matchup. I'm very excited for this game. I think the Patriots are finally, since they're finally at 500, they have a little bit of juice and a little bit of momentum going into this game. There's so many headlines going on in this game, to be honest. Can the Patriots capitalize on being 500? Can they take that next step and be over 500? Stephon Gilmore playing for the Panthers. There's a little reunion right there. You know, Is Gilmore going to play absolute lockdown defense on the Patriots' best receiver, which is Jacoby Myers? I guess. Christian McCaffrey coming back from IR. What can we expect from him? What kind of player will he be? It's just... You know, the Panthers, you know, they started so hot and they've sizzled down, really. Patriots have been kind of all over the place, but they're hot right now. Big win right here for the Patriots. To be honest, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the Patriots need to win next two out of three. They beat the Jets. They beat the Chargers, which I thought they would lose against the Chargers. And they need to beat the Panthers. Now that you've won the first two, you got to win this one. Get over 500. Please get over 500. You're on the cusp. AFC wildcard stand. You are on the cusp of being in the playoff picture after a dismal start. A dismal start. Right now, currently, as it sits, you are the eighth seed. You are the first one out of the playoff picture. Go and beat this Carolina Panthers team. Panthers, they're the seventh seed in the NFC, respectively. They're on the outside. Uh, they're on the inside, but they're looking out. In all honesty. They got the Vikings uh, breathing down their neck, the 49ers, the the Falcons. I'm just going to, you know, those three and four teams. I mean, obviously the Saints, they're right above them at five and two. A little bit of a gap there, but they just lost Jameis Winston. So what kind of team are they going to be moving forward? So there's a lot of implications for both the Panthers and the Patriots in this game. Does it help that the Panthers are home? Absolutely. Let's see. Let's Can we look up a line? Patriots, Panthers, Vegas odds. Let's see what the line is. Because I did an experiment a couple weeks ago. And let me see. And it, I want to say it favored the Panthers. Let's see. When did I do this? I was Oh, my Mac Jones sucks video. Right. 
So I did this, I wrote this all out on 10-14, so three weeks ago, and I made the video, what, two weeks ago? Let's see, can we get some odds? Here we go. And the Panthers, three weeks ago, were a minus one favorite. Minus one favorite. Interesting. Interesting. Do I think that's the same? Uh, personally, maybe. I'd probably say it's relatively close to that. It'd be it's no it's no more than two points. I don't think. Where the Patriots line right now a Patriots minus three and a half according to NBCSports.com/Boston. I don't know where they're getting their odds from, but it says Patriots versus Panthers money line spread in total. The line is three and a half going the Patriots way, laying an egg. Or laying three and a half, I should say. Interesting. That is the line, huh? Over-under is 41 points. I think on my parlay, I took over. Don't bet. Don't bet, kids. Don't gamble. I definitely think I took the over on that. 41, that's low. That's 21-20. That's tough. 21-20, that's tough. Patriots team total is 22.5. The Panthers is 19.5. Patriots money line is minus 191. Panthers is plus 160. Panthers is not a bad bet. To be honest, I mean, they could easily, I don't want to say easily, but they could win this game. They could win this game. Obviously, with McCaffrey coming back, Gilmore, a little uh, vengeance. Patriots have some questions themselves, obviously. And I think one way to address those questions, this is something I really wanted to talk about. One way to address those questions is how I mentioned a few minutes ago that Gilmore is going to be shutting down your best receiver in what, Jacoby Myers? Jacoby Myers, the best receiver? I would assume so, right? Well, there is a name that has been surfaced and connected to the Patriots for some time now, for a couple of years. And he just got released, right? I believe it's officially re released. I know a few hours ago the process was being finalized, but I mean, I think it's official now that the Browns have released Odell Beckham Jr. Wow. Now, there's a bunch of different players out there that could use Odell Beckham Jr. A ton of them. But first, Beckham has to go through waivers. Now, waivers is a complicated process. Waivers is a completely complicated process. And there are some teams ahead of the Patriots. It's obviously based off a of record. Uh, let me see. Waiver order NFL week nine. Can we? Uh, I don't want no fantasy stuff. I don't want no fantasy stuff. I want NFL. I don't want fantasy. What if I just type in OBJ? I typed in waiver order NFL week nine. And it's giving me a bunch of fantasy stuff. I don't want fantasy. All right. After a couple minutes of research and digging up, which is what I just did, I have the official week nine current NFL waiver order. It has Detroit. Line. So this goes based off of in record. So essentially, if the draft was to be today, right? If the draft was to be today or this week, I guess. This is the order and priority that these teams have to either claim or pass on Odell 
So the Lions, worst record, obviously 0-8 or 0-7, whatever it is. They have the first uh, jabs at them. They can say yes or no. Dolphins, 1-7, yes or no, and so on and so forth. The Patriots are 15th right now. So if the season was to end today, they would have the 15th overall pick in the draft. And it's, I mean, obviously not including tiebreakers and stuff. Because I know some teams have similar records. But yes, Patriots would be 15th right now. Now there's obviously some reports. There's some teams above them or you know ahead of them that could use a wide receiver. Mainly the 49ers or probably you know the Falcons, if you know Calvin Ridley is really going to be out for a long period of time with you know personal mental health issues. You know, hopefully you take care of yourself and prioritize your mental health. Over football, that is the correct thing to do. Calvin Ridley, I respect and I appreciate taking the time that you need to work on your own things. I hope you are back soon, but not until you are mentally ready. I digress. But, so let's see. The teams ahead, I already mentioned the 49ers, the Falcons, the Bears. Bears would be an interesting one. Bears would be a very interesting one. Seahawks, DK, Lockett, Odell. That's interesting when Russell Wilson comes back soon. That would be fairly, fairly interesting. Um, Eagles, I don't think so. Football team, if they were competitive, I could see that. But if they were competitive, their record would be better. Giants, I don't think they're Giants. I mean, I don't know. The Giants are so depleted on the offensive line. Oh, not the offense, on the offensive weapons, excuse me. I could kind of see it, but I know it's not going to happen. And the Jets, Jags, Texans, no, 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 no. But see, if a team claims Odell Beckham, they have to take on the remainder of his contract. Now, I know waiving him, the Browns are uh, sucking up some dead money and such like that. But whatever team claims him, I mean, it could be the Arizona Cardinals at 32 could claim him, and they would have to take on whatever the rest of that contract is. If no team claims him, I think, I don't know how long the claimship goes for, but say no team claims him, then he'll become a free agent and then that contract will be null and voided. All the guaranteed money will already be paid for by the Cleveland Browns. Actually, technically, by the New York Giants who signed him and then traded him. And then obviously any roster bonuses or such like that, the Browns will be paying. But then he becomes a free agent and can consign anywhere for anything. And it essentially becomes a bidding war for Odell at that point. But if you're the Patriots and you're at 15 and you see Odell come up, obviously the salary cap has to work out. I don't know what the Patriots' salary cap is at this point. I know it's not the greatest. Well, I wonder why because you signed everybody under the damn sun. I think you have to do it. I really do. I'm not saying this because I like Odell Beckham Jr. I do. I've liked him for a long time. I hated that he was on the Giants. I hated that they drafted him. I really liked what he brought to the table as a, you know, elite wide receiver, as a superstar talent, which he still has the talent. Is he giving you superstar elite production? Absolutely not. But is the talent there to do so? Yes. That is the difference between calling him a superstar and seeing him as a superstar. He has the talent. He has the skill set. He has the speed. He has the agility. He has the hands. He has the route running. He has the physicality. He can do it all. Now, could it, him, his situation in Cleveland not have been a good one, which really you know kind of took his wheels off the track? Could his situation in New York also took his wheels? Who knows? Who knows? 
you give him we all us Patriots fans have fantasized about Odell Beckham Jr. coming to Foxborough for a long time now. Probably year two of Odell after the Giants kept sucking and sucking and then they contract was coming up. It's like, oh, you know, the Giants might not resign him. They could trade him. Patriots, here we go. Uh, Tom Brady getting a legitimate elite number one receiver, which Odell was at the time. And then he gets resigned. It's like, oh. And then you hear rumors that, you know, the Browns could be trying to make a trade for him. It's like, whoa. So, I don't know. I don't know. But if you're the Patriots at 15, if you can financially make it work, you have to do it. You need to give Mac Jones somebody. Because Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, that's fun. That is a fun little group of receivers right there. Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith. They're not giving you the kind of elite production you may have thought they would when you brought them in and signed them. But it's a fun group of uh, receivers. It is fun. They're fun to root for. But if you have any playoff hopes and implications and and have a legitimate... And if you think you have a legitimate shot to make any kind of noise come to playoffs, or let's just say for the rest of the season, how about that? Let's just get to the playoffs first. You need to bring in somebody like Odell Beckham. I don't think trading for him would have been the right call because I think you would have had to give up too much. I mean, unless it was like a seventh-round pick. But you know Bill Belichick. He loves his draft picks. He loves his fifth, sixth, seventh-round picks. He loves them. He'd probably rather trade you a third than a seventh. But if this guy comes through on the waiver order into your lap and you can financially make it work, and have true playoff aspirations. Bringing in Odell is a great way to help get you there. Now, I'm not going to say he will get you there. I'm not going to say he's going to be that elite number one talent that he has shown before, that he could or was for a little bit. But at least it gives you the possibility you know, it gives you another weapon, another threat right now because outside of Bourne, Aguilar, and Jacoby Myers, your fourth receiver is Gunnar Oshleski. Okay. I'm telling you, bringing an Odell, it just gives your offense another wrinkle and it gives the opposing defenses something else to worry about. I really do think that this would be a smart move for the Patriots. I mean, he also gives you that trickery. I mean, you've seen Odell throw the ball a few times, whether he's with the Giants or whether he was with the Browns. He can throw the ball a little bit. So that gives you another facet to your you know, bag of trick plays. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, maybe you just release him at the end of the season. But maybe it does. I don't want to say low risk, high reward, because there is a risk there financially. But the ri- the reward is very high. The reward is immensely high. Patriots, you have to do it. You would have... I don't want to say you would win so many fans over because I know there's some fans that don't like him. But look at the past five years. Patriots fans have been glamoring for Odell. When Brady was here, they wanted Brady to have a weapon like Odell. Give him to Mac. Give him to Mac. So... That's what I have to talk about. Oh, I guess I got really nothing else to talk about, right, in terms of the Patriots specifically. I do want to run down, run through the NFL. 
I don't think I have anything else to talk about the Patriots. Just win. Win on Sunday. Oh, three things. Three things I'm looking for, right? Three things I'm looking for. Um, hmm, let's see. I want to see the run game continue to play well. Past couple weeks, the run game has been very well, albeit one was against the Jets, and then the other one was against the Chargers, who have very small linebackers. They're very thin on front line. But still, let's continue this run game. Show that the run game can be a weapon moving forward. That is something you can potentially lean on for a drive or for a game. Let's see what Damian Harris can do, or let's keep seeing what Damian Harris can do. Let's see Ramondre Stevenson back out there running the ball. Give him, you know, seven to ten carries. Let's see what he can do. So, number one, let's keep the rushing game going. Number two. Um, number two, I would like to see a rebound game for Mac Jones. I would. I mean, he didn't play his best game. He didn't lose you the game. He didn't put you in losing positions. He got you down into winning positions. Did he make executed winning plays? Yeah, here and there. But I would like to see him kind of have a you know rebound. He looked fantastic against the the Jets. He looked okay, mediocre against the Chargers. So let's see him rebound a little bit, face a little adversity which he has been basically all season since the Patriots drafted him. But, you know, you're going up against Stephon Gilmore, arguably one of the better cornerbacks in this league. The defense is fairly well. It's a lot better than the Chargers and the Jets. I will give them that. So go out there, make some plays, throw for 275 yards, throw for three touchdowns, no picks. Let's see something like that out of Mac Jones. Number three. Hmm. Number three. Number three. Number three. I want to see what the Patriots' weapons can do against Stephon Gilmore, right? You're going up against uh, one of the better cornerbacks in the league. You have hope in your wide receivers or your receiving corpse. Obviously, you know, hopefully they bring in Odell. I already touched upon that, so I won't talk about that anymore. But let's see if this team can execute whoever's on Gilmore can they beat him whoever's not on Gilmore can they capitalize and maybe go off for seven receptions and 85 yards can they do that can the other guys you know perform and execute and make the big plays while maybe the other guy that's getting locked up by Gilmore is having a quiet day I want to see the receivers take a big step this week I want it because it was slackluster last week I want to see multiple guys get five receptions I want to see multiple guys have like, you know, 40 yards receiving. Like, I don't want just one guy to pop off. Now, obviously, if that's the case this week, then that's the case this week. You keep going to him if he's playing well. But I want to see Mac Jones. Obviously, this is kind of a, an extension of number two. But I want Mac Jones to feed multiple mouths. Don't just give it to Myers. Don't just give it to Henry. Don't. Oh, I just picked up or well, trying to pick up Hunter Henry for fantasy. So maybe just feed Hunter Henry. But don't feed just Jonu Smith. Don't just feed the running backs. Don't just feed, you know, Aguilar or Bourne. Listen, Thanksgiving's coming around soon. Let multiple mouths feed. Let multiple multiple mouths eat. And let multiple stomachs be full. That's what I want to see Mac Jones do. So obviously that's kind of extension number two, but more so on number three. I guess it's being number three. Just, I want to see more receivers have, you know, consistent and equal production. I guess, right? I, I don't know. It's, it's it's a hard point to to kind of come up with words. 
or have word come up with words to make it sound like that it's not the same as number two. You see what I'm saying? So number one, obviously, let's see the running game stay consistent, have another good productive day. Number two, Mac Jones, can he rebound from a mediocre outing against the Chargers? Can he, you know, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 275 passing yards. Can he put the Patriots in position to win? Can he keep them out of losing positions? Can he make the big plays himself, whether it's with the arm or we've seen him scramble a little bit, which I don't like, but I mean, it's good to see that he is a little bit more mobile than the scouts said coming out of Alabama. And then number three, I want to see all the receivers step up because someone's going to get shut down by Gilmore. So whoever it may be may have a quiet day, but everybody else, I want to see more consistent production. I don't want to see not one player get 10 for 200 yards. I want to see everyone have five for 50, right? Makes sense. It makes sense when I say it like that. So quickly, let's jump around the league and give our predictions for this week. Obviously, the Colts beat the Jets last night 45-30, to so we cannot predict that game. We have the Raiders facing the New York Giants in the Meadowlands. This is their first game without Henry Ruggs, with everything that happened in his situation. I hope the family can grieve and move forward with their new reality. It sucks. It's shitty. Obviously, Henry Ruggs is in big trouble. We'll just have to wait to see how that pans out. You know, obviously, I love Henry Ruggs because he's an Alabama guy. I love what he brings to the table, his speed, his quickness, his route running ability and such like that. I doubt he'll see a football field again, though. I do. I doubt it. But you know what? That's what happens when you make stupid decisions. But you know what? I'm not going to get into that. It's... It's not behind us, but, you know, that's not the purpose of this podcast here. So I still do think the Raiders will win. I have the Raiders winning in survival, so I need them to win. Giants, ugh. Falcons, Saints, first game without Jameis Winston after tearing his ACL. What is he going to, what is the team going to look like? Falcons? I don't know. Saints? I'm going to go Saints because it's home. If this was in Atlanta, I'd probably go Atlanta. But I think the Saints might be able to rally. They're 5-2 and two still. I think they have a really good team and a good shot to still make the playoffs, although they lost Winston. They have some good players over there still. I know Michael Thomas is done for the season, but that Saints team is well-coached, well-prepared. They have a lot of good players. I'm going to go Saints here. Bills visiting the Jaguars. Bills, not even going to talk about it. Browns visiting the Bengals. I'm going to go Bengals. Um, a lot of... You know, could they rally around Odell not in the building anymore and beat, you know, uh, currently a superior team? I don't know. Bengals need a rebound after a disgusting loss to the Bengals. Holy smokes. But I think the Bengals will win. They are the better team, and they should be able to win this game. Patriots-Panthers. I'm going to go Patriots, obviously. Cowboys hosting the Broncos. Cowboys. I just... Broncos have fallen off the face of the earth. They're just not what we thought they were going to be early. Like I mentioned, first four to six weeks, good teams play good, bad teams play bad. Good teams play bad, bad teams play good, and the Broncos were a bad team playing good. So Cowboys in Jerry's world. Vikings visiting the Ravens. Interesting matchup. Can the Ravens stay hot? Can the Vikings you know, still make a fight for a playoff push? I'm going to go Ravens here. I think that is the better option. Texans, Dolphins. I originally picked the Dolphins to win in survival. But with Tyrod Taylor being announced as a starter for the Texans, I immediately hopped off, jumped off ship for that one. I 
still think the Dolphins can win. But I'm I'm going to pick the Texans pro- solely because they have Tyrod Taylor. If Davis Mills was starting, I would still lean to Miami. But with Tyrod Taylor, a much superior quarterback to Davis Mills, I'm going to go Texans here. Chargers visiting Philadelphia playing the Eagles. I think the Chargers are going to have a rebound game after the loss against the Patriots last week. Eagles, they have good talent. They hardly run the ball. I just don't think they're there yet. They're not, not good. Packers visiting the Chiefs. Game of the week. No Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love getting his first career start against the struggling Chiefs. Holy smokes, what kind of game is this going to be? Will the Chiefs be able to capitalize? Will the teams, uh, will the Packers, you know, surround Jordan Love with all the support and high energy and go out there and get the dub? I have no freaking idea. Now, if the Chiefs were like, you know, six and two right now, I'd probably pick the Chiefs, albeit that the Packers are seven and one. But without Aaron Rodgers for who knows how long, I don't know. I think overall the Packers team is better than the Chiefs team right now. Overall, obviously the quarterback uh, battle is going to favor Patrick Mahomes compared to Jordan Love. But the Packers are going to get to see, and and we're all going to get to see what Jordan Love is all about. I've ranted and raved about Jordan Love on this podcast numerous times of how badly I wanted the Patriots to draft him two years ago. I'm going to go Packers. Lock it in. Jordan Love's first start, first win in Kansas City against Patrick Mahomes. You heard it here first on Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Cardinals visit the 49ers. I'm going to pick the Cardinals. I think they'll get a rebound over the Thursday night loss. Their first loss of the season to the Packers last week. I think they'll get the dub this week in San Francisco. Titans visit the Rams. It'll be their first game without Derrick Henry. Rams just brought in Von Miller. They just released Deshaun Jackson. That team is a wagon. I'm picking the Rams. If that game was in Tennessee, I'd probably still pick the Rams. Bears visit the Steelers for Monday Night Football. Don't need to see this game on my TV. I don't know who to pick. I don't know who to pick. Um, Steelers looking better as of late. I'll give them that. Bears? <sighs> I mean, there's a lot of... Good plays being made from time to time, but that team still has a lot of long way to go. I think the Steelers will win, but I'm going to want the Bears to win because of Justin Fields. So that is my NFL predictions for Week Nine. Let's wrap it up, uh, recap it, excuse me, really quickly. I have the Raiders over the Giants, Saints over the Falcons, Bills over the Jags, Bengals over the Browns, Patriots over the Panthers, Cowboys over Broncos, Ravens over Vikings, Texans over Dolphins. Chargers over the Eagles. The Packers beating the Chiefs. Cardinals over the 49ers. Rams beating the Titans. And the Steelers over the Bears. Although I do, I'd rather have the Bears win. But that is what it is. That is all I have to talk about in terms of football. I do want to talk about Major League Baseball and some free agents really quickly. I know we're butting up against an hour. The shop is about to open, which I have to go do that right now. But let's talk. Major League Baseball free agents. Obviously, the World Series is now behind us. So players are opting out, opting in, being released, yada, yada, yada. Let's dive into some top MLB free agents available right now. So since the World Series wrapped up on Tuesday with yeah, Tuesday with the Braves defeating the Astros 7-0, winning the series 4-2, MLB players and the teams have five days to exercise player or team options 
So with that being said, players have already opted in, players have already opted out. Uh, teams have, you know, elected to exercise the option or decline the option. So we have a current list of players, top players available right now from who maybe are in the last year of arbitration or who are at the end of, you know, contracts, whatever it may be. And there are a couple players I want to point out. Obviously, you know, this is not my list of top players. This is, what website are we on here? This is CBS uh, Sports.com, MLB, whatever. This is their list, so I'm just going off of the players that are on here. I don't really care the order is. They have Carlos Carrera, number one, Seager, two, Brian, three, so on and so forth. I don't really care the order. Max Scherzer's on here. And yes, there's been rumors and reports that his arm could be dying. But I also think that, you know, bringing him for a one year contract to kind of give your minor leaguers another year. Also gives your rotation another veteran to lean on. Someone who's been one of the best pitchers in this game for a long period of time to shine here in Boston for one year. And I could it work? I don't know. Would he even want one year? I don't know. But just having someone like him in here, you have Sale, Scherzer, Evaldi, who was fantastic this year. But what kind of Evaldi are you going to get next year? You know, Obviously, Chris Sale is no guarantee to come back. But still, you have potentially Tanner Houck in the rotation next year. Are you going to have uh, Eduardo Rodriguez? Who knows? Nick Pavetta. Uh, what about Connor Siebold? Right? There's a lot of guys that are here now and also coming up. But like I said, Eduardo Rodriguez may or may not be here. So it's like Max Scherzer could help balance that out. So you don't have to have a Nick Pavetta be your number two or your number three starter. You can have him be your number th four and you'll be okay. Right, because having a number four or five be your number two or three never bodes well. So bringing in a guy like Max Scherzer, who has won it, who's been in the postseason, who's been a dominant pitcher over the years, has a lot of experience. I really think would give you a nice one-two punch at the top with Scherzer, excuse me, and Sale. I I know there's other options like Robbie Ray, uh, Kevin Gosman. I'd rather have Max Scherzer, to be honest. There's just so much more hype when you say Max Scherzer than Robbie Ray or Kevin Gosman. Could Robbie Ray or Kevin Gosman be a better choice long-term? Yes, long-term. However, I want Max Scherzer here for the short-term. I want him here for 2022 and just kind of see where that goes. I mean, he is 37, Scherzer. I want to say he's like 37, 36, 37, 37. Okay, his birthday's in July. He'll be 38 next July. I mean, for one year deal, I think that could get the job. Obviously, you know, financial, you know, Red Sox are, you know, a cheap team nowadays, so that's not going to matter on how much they're willing to pay. Now, there's also, you know, reports and rumors out there that the Red Sox want to indulge in the shortstop market. That's Trevor Story, that's Javi Baez, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa. Well, do we need a shortstop? A shortstop, no. But any of those shortstops could play second base if they want to. You know, if the contract's nice enough, if they're willing to do so. But also, there's been, you know, reports that they might have Xander Bogarts move over to second base. I, you know, I don't really care what the formula is here, if it's Bogarts or if it's, like, say, Baez, for example. And I only mention Baez because he has tons of experience at second base. He originally started as, I believe, a shortstop, 
for the Cubs. Then he moved over to second base for a while. Then he's had some time at third base. Then back to shortstop. And then he got traded to the Mets. And he was alongside Francisco Lindor. And Baez was a second baseman there. So if I'm going to pick and choose which one, I think I'd rather have Javi Baez just because, A, the versatility. He can play short, second, or third. He's also had some time in center field. But he, if you do want one of the shortstops to potentially move over to second base, I think Javi Baez, who's already a second baseman, is actually listed as a second baseman here, is is the guy. Now, yeah, you could look at Marcus Semien as well. Is he more of a shortstop? Yeah. Did he play second base this year? Yes. One-year contract with Toronto. Is he going to get more money? I don't know. He was in the MVP running, was it 2020 he was? I want to, no, I want to say 2019 he was. I forget what year. But anyways, I don't know. Like I said, Javi Baez is a name that pops. I really think, you know, is he the best option? I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, Corey Seager would be nice. Nice lefty bat in there. Can place, uh, obviously, shortstop. A lot of power, a lot of contact. Is that someone that you want? Javi Baez, obviously, boomer bust. He can hit a lot of doubles. He's going to hit the ball out of the park. He's going to strike out a lot. Average, it won't always be there. It's tricky. It's tricky. I'm okay if you bring in Baez, but you also have to bring in someone that can hit the ball for contact as well. Like you just can't bring in, uh, you know, just Javi Baez, plug him as your leadoff hitter, and just be done with it, right? You got to bring in Baez, and then you got to bring in someone a legitimate leadoff. People love Kike Hernandez around here. All due respect, he's a fantastic player, but he is not a legitimate leadoff hitter. I'm sorry, he's not. Two fifty leadoff hitter is not going to cut it. Not for me, at least. For you, maybe. But listen, the leadoff hitter sets the tone for the rest of the lineup. The rest of the lineup is only going to do good as you have one or two hitters. You know, Kyle Schwarber and Kike Hernandez were on fire through that Rays series and for the first three games of the ALCS against the Astros. Then they cooled off. And the rest of the lineup cooled off as well. Now, could one come before the other? It doesn't matter. But you see this correlation. There is a correlation there. If you can bring in someone that is a 300 hitter, and that's what they're known for, plug them at the top of the lineup. Now, obviously, that's not Javi Baez. If you want more of a contact hitter, then yeah, maybe go, you know, invest big time in Marcus Semien or Corey Seager. Are those the better options? Potentially. I mean, I think Seager is, but is Semien a better option than Baez? That's a conversation to have. But ultimately, if you're looking for a second baseman, I'm thinking Baez. I think he might be a little bit cheaper. Semyon would re, would be right there. It just depends on the Red Sox philosophy and if these guys are willing to stay at second base. I mean, obviously Baez, you know, got traded and moved to second base, and Semyon signed with the Blue Jays, knowing that he will be a second baseman because of Bobichet in Toronto. But is Trevor Story going to want to play second base? Is Carlos Correa going to want to play second base? Is Seager going to want to play second base? These guys aren't for certain going to want to play second base. You could bring them in and then move Bogarts to second base. But is Bogarts going to want to play second base? I mean, he has, you know, 2022, and then he has the option to opt out of his contract, which all reports seem like he's going to, but he wants to re-sign with the Sox. It's tough. It's tough. You're going to have to talk to these free agents. You're going to have to talk to Bogarts, Cora, obviously, and see if you can manage this thing a little bit. Another player I want to talk about is Kenley Jansen, the reliever for the or the closer for the 
Dodgers. Now, bringing him, I've mentioned when the season ended, um, did I mention it on Monday? No, I don't think I mentioned it. I think I mentioned it uh, last week. That last Monday, I think I mentioned it. The Red Sox need to bring in a legitimate leadoff hitter, a starting pitcher, like a really good starting pitcher, and then two dynamic bullpen arms. Now, Kenley Jansen has kind of fallen off a little bit. You know, his walks have increased. But still, I think he'd be a great guy. Everyone knows Kenley Jansen. It's a household name. He's been a legitimate shutdown closer for many years. You see older, yes. Is his you know, production gone down a little bit? Maybe, maybe not. But I think it's a weapon that you can have. I mean, he has experience as a closer, obviously as a reliever. I think it would be a great addition to your bullpen. I don't see him being anywhere near $17 million or whatever it was that he signed with the Dodgers a couple seasons ago. But, I mean, having some guy like this, some guy you can lean on, will be would be so important and crucial during the playoffs. I mean, obviously during the regular season in general, but for the playoffs, that would be crucial so you can have depth in your bullpen. And I think that's something that the Red Sox really lacked this year. Raciel Iglesias from the Los Angeles Angels, speaking of another Angels team, uh, another Los Angeles team, would also be a good one. Could he, you know, want more money than Kenley Jansen because he is a little bit younger? Correct? I believe Iglesias is younger. Does it say his age? I don't see his age on here. Oh, he's 31, and Jansen's like, what, 35, I believe? So could he want more money? Could he want a longer contract? Sure, possibly. But I'm just like, I mean, obviously, I don't expect you to bring them both in, but to at least bring one of those guys in. I, I, don't, I don't think it will matter which one. Just bring in one of those guys. Give your bullpen a legitimate threat, a legitimate arm. Obviously, depending on how the season goes and the production that you get from you know A or B, you can't control that here in the middle of November. You can't control that now. But you know you give you bring yourself in you know Iglesias, you bring yourself in Scherzer. Now you just beefed up your pitching staff. Your rotation got better. Your bullpen got better, and now you're moving forward to make other moves with a great foundation for 2022. I also see Anthony Rizzo on here. I don't think. The Red Sox should go after him if they're going to re-sign Kyle Schwarber. You got Tristan Cassis coming up. Bobby Dahlbeck did explode a little bit in August. Simmered down big time. You know, come late in the season playoffs, obviously. It'll be interesting. Obviously, the fans want Kyle Schwarber back. I want Kyle Schwarber back. Do I want him as a full-time first baseman? No. J.D. Martinez has one more day to opt in or opt out of his player option. Do we want him back? That's $19 million either on or off the books. We will just have to wait and see. Brandon Belt is also out there for um, first baseman. You know, nice lefty first baseman. Longtime giant. Buster Posey just retired. You know, bless up to a fantastic Hall of Fame career. Was it four or five times Silver Slugger, three-time champion, MVP, batting average title, rookie of the year. All with the same team? You cannot do better than that. So fantastic career to Buster Posey. You know, hope you ride off into the sunset and live life happily ever after post-baseball. So could the Giants, you know, want to extend a little bit more to keep Brandon Belt, to keep, you know, Brandon Crawford, to kind of keep that core at least a little bit together? You know, after a fantastic season, who knows? Who knows? But, I mean, he had a great, he had a great season this past year, 274, 29 home runs in 97 games. 97 games. 
I mean, yeah, he is older. He's in his 30s. Is he declining? Yes. Does he have to be a full-time? No. He's 34. Could you split time between Belt and Schwarber? Yes. Would I rather have Kyle Schwarber than Brandon Belt? Depends on how much you plan on using Kyle Schwarber as a first baseman, right? If I'm if I'm looking for a full-time first baseman to kind of go hand-in-hand with Dahlbeck, I'd rather have Brandon Belt. But if you're just going to use Schwarber once a week at first base here in a pinch, sure, bring Schwarber back. Fan favorite. People love him. But that's really all I want to talk about, you know, for baseball free agents that are out there right now. Obviously, there's a ton of other names. There's um, Nelson Cruz. There's Kyle Seeger, Corey Seeger's brother, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario. Obviously, some Braves heroes. There's, let's see, Tony Pham, Jock Peterson. Let's see, I'm trying to see, trying to see what else is out there. There's the top 50. Obviously, like the big names I already mentioned. Correa, Seager, Brian, Semyon, Freeman, Robbie Ray, Scherzer, Gosman, Stroman, Starling Marte are the top 10 on this list. And it's not, not, not my top 10, but at least top 10 on this list. But that's going to wrap it up for today's episode, everybody. I really appreciate you all for downloading, listening, and enjoying Murph's Boston Sports Talk with every single episode. I greatly appreciate your love and support by downloading, listening, and enjoying all the episodes. It does significantly mean a lot. And if you are watching this on YouTube, liking the video if you enjoyed today's episode, commenting down below your thoughts, questions, opinions, concerns, all that and more. And then, of course, subscribe to the channel is a great, fantastic way to show support on the YouTube side of things as well. But that is going to do it. Please reach out to me via social media at Murph's Cartown or in the comment section below here on YouTube if that's where you're watching to engage with me. You know, do you have you know thoughts about the Bruins, the Celtics seasons? You know, your thoughts about the Patriots game coming up, MLB free agents, Odell Beckham Jr. news. Reach out to me, comment down below, whatever it may be. Let's have a conversation, a debate, an argument, a discussion, a gentleman's talk, whatever it may be, whatever you want. Reach out to me. Leave a comment down below. I'd love to hear from you. But that is going to do it for today's episode. I really appreciate your time, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I can't wait to get back here in the studio for Monday's episode. Have a fantastic week. Stay warm. If you're going to some card shows, enjoy them. Come on down to Murph's Card Town and Sports Shop. If you want to see me in person, we can have a talk there. But that is going to do it for this one. I will catch you in the next episode. But between now and then, you guys know how much I love you. And you know that I will always, always see you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. 
If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.